We're in Galatians 5, and uh, I, I want to say on the front end that this is a tough passage if you didn't catch that just by Lee reading it. Um, what I bring to you this morning is, is probably version 7.0 of this sermon. Um, I have uh, redone this sermon at least seven times um, as I struggled with this passage. I have, uh, I have read just about everything I can read. I, this whole week on vacation, I had other people uh, reading, emailing me, texting me, um, just to, to what is Paul saying here? And, and what I bring to you, I do believe that, that what I bring to you this morning is truly what Paul is saying here. I want to rightly divide the word. I want to be careful when it comes to standing up here and saying, thus, thus says the Lord. I mean, we're declaring this is what the Bible says. And my flesh wanted to go to, uh, you know, you see words like severed. You see words like uh, Christ will be of no use, no benefit to you. What does he mean? What is he talking about here? Literally all week last week, this passage was on my mind. I was listening. Even when I was down at the beach, there were many times I was listening, just thinking, what are you saying here? What are you saying? What are you saying? And, and I believe in verse 1, we looked at that over two weeks, a couple of weeks ago, and Barry, I thought I would get further than I would, and Barry Chesney, I'm grateful for him, he preached verse 16 through 25 last week. But in verse 1 of, of Galatians, we have to be reminded of context. In verse 1 of chapter 5 of Galatians, Paul turns a corner. And, and this is a common theme in Paul's letters. If you're reading Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3 are very theologically oriented. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, you will see, Paul will say, Therefore, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. In Romans 1 through 11, he, for 11, verse, 11 chapters, he gives you strong theology, strong theology of what God has done. And starting in chapter 12, he says this, Therefore I urge you, by the mercy of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. And do not be conformed any, any longer to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I believe Paul is doing that same thing here in Galatians for four chapters Paul has really said the same thing over and over and over again. And he said this, It is salvation is Jesus Christ plus nothing. Justification is faith alone. It's not just faith, it's faith alone. You add anything to the gospel, you take anything away from, from the gospel, you've destroyed the gospel. The Judaizers, they had a different gospel. They had taken Jesus Christ's work, and what they were saying, now the Galatians are saved, they're saying, you know what, that's not sufficient. You, you, to be perfected, you need to add circumcision. To be perfected, you need to go to the law. We, we see that hint at what they were talking about regarding perfection in chapter 3, verse 2. Paul says this, we looked at it. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? 
I hope that what we preach today, I hope that this word today will be freeing to us. Because before every single one of us as believers, before every single one of us, we have two options, and we'll get to this, but I want to summarize on the front end of what I want to say. We, we have two options before us. We, we can relate to God as slaves, or we can relate to God as sons and daughters or heirs. As believers, we have two, we have the, we have two options. We can go back and begin to relate to God as a slave, or we can relate to God as an heir, as a son or as a daughter. And I believe that is what Paul is, is getting at here. I, again, the gospel is narrow. No, no, I'm, I, I, we have preached on that. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The gospel is narrow. The more and more I read the Bible, the narrower and narrower, narrower the road gets. Jesus himself said, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life. Narrow. Paul's not, Paul's not opening up the gospel here. He, he's not denying the narrowness of the gospel, but I'm not sure that Paul is primarily talking here about being saved. He's about getting saved. He's talking to a group of people who are saved. He's speaking to you and I today who have hopefully have a relationship with Jesus Christ. How do we, how do we live that relationship out? And what I hope to, today will be is freeing for us. He, he's certainly not talking about losing your salvation. I believe he's talking about exactly what he said. Again, chapter 1 through 4 of Galatians can be summarized in verse 1 of chapter 5. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. I believe Paul in 2 through 12 and really through 15 is speaking to how do you as a believer not go back and take on again a yoke of slavery? How do you live free in Christ? What does that mean that you are free in Christ? How do you live that out? Namely, by what power do you live that out? Never once, never, hear me, context is huge. It's like real estate, location, location, location. Studying the Bible, it's context, context, context. Never once in Galatians does Paul doubt their salvation. He assumes he's writing to believers. But he's writing to a group of believers who are in danger of relating to God through a spirit of slavery rather than a spirit of sonship. And you'll see on your handout the main point today, the main point, and what I think Paul is getting at here is, the, is this. The issue that we see is not so much their salvation, but their ability to grow, mature, and experience the power of God as a saved individual. How do you live out a, a, the life of freedom that Christ has purchased for you? We have been declared righteous through faith in Christ. That is a positional thing. Once and for all, the judge, Jesus, God banged the gavel down and said, look, you have believed in Jesus Christ. You have been declared righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.20, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. We have been declared righteous. That is a positional thing. It is a verdict that has been declared over our lives. It is done. It is settled for those who are 
singularly believing in the death, of burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone. That is a declared, done deal. But practically, the question becomes this. Where do we go from here? Now what? How do we live now as saved individuals? By really what Paul is getting at is by whose strength do we live as saved individuals? Do, do we set aside the gospel and now just pull up our bootstraps and live by the flesh? That's what Paul is getting at in chapter 3. You who began by the Spirit, are you being perfected in the flesh? Is that it? Or has God given us, as we saw two weeks ago, the Spirit, His Spirit, to live inside of us, to empower us, to, to, to no longer be governed by a set of rules that are written on a tablet, but to be governed by a set, by a law, the law of Christ, we'll see in Galatians 6, 2, that's on our hearts. It's no longer circumcision of the flesh. What we're dealing with is circumcision of the heart. In, in, in becoming a saved individual, a believer in Jesus Christ, He gives us a new heart. That is a fulfillment of Jeremiah 31 of Ezekiel 36. No, no longer do we come to this law and have to want to obey it. We have a new heart that wants to obey it. A, a law that's written on our heart, not just on tablets. And I believe what Paul is getting out here is the practical outworking on a daily basis of our salvation. He's speaking to believers about how do you live on a daily basis and not revert back to relating to God as a slave, but maintain a relationship with God as a son and as a daughter. How do you enjoy, how do you appropriate the freedoms that, that Christ purchased for you? I really believe that what we'll get at today is, is where most where most of us have missed it. Uh, of thinking it's totally up to us. That now that we're saved, it's totally up to us. And we've missed it. We've missed it. You, you see on your handout, when a person trusts in some form of legalism, listen, in this case it was circumcision, but, it, but I will get to that later. It can, this thing can show up in many ways. When a person trusts legalism for their practical righteousness before God, for their sanctification. Those are big words, I understand that. What he's saying is you've abandoned the Spirit leading your life. You've taken on the flesh. You're trying to live the life of the flesh. Sanctification, we have been declared righteous. We have been declared positionally righteous. That word means perfect. But our job as Christians, the, the walk of a Christian is the will of God for a Christian is our sanctification. That is practically we become more and more and more and more like what we have been declared positionally to be. Righteous. Sanctification is me pursuing through the Spirit, through the Word of God, the sanctification that God has declared over us. And what he's saying is, if you go back to relating to God as a slave, what he's warning about is, look, is if you go back to the law, if you go back to look into, hey, if I just get circumcised, if I do this, if I just do... If you go back to the law, you're stunting your growth. You're, you're resorting, you're relating to God as a slave. You're stunting your maturity. He's saying the person, the person who is depending on a, on a system of works, the person who is, who is looking to the law is totally unable to produce spiritual change from the inside out. That's the whole Old Testament. 
The, the, out, the, the law was given to prove, to show them, even to incite their sin, to show them just how sinful they are, that they needed help. That you can't live the Christian life on your own. You need help. You need somebody inside of you living it through you, literally. That's what Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, the promise of the Spirit promised. I will be inside of you. I will live through you. That's what Paul is getting at here. And last week, Barry showed that the works of the flesh are this. The works of the Spirit are this. Go back with me to Galatians 2.20. Look what Paul says here. I think Paul is getting at here in this section, and what I want us to see is it's the fullness of the Christian experience. Why do we not experience the fullness of the Christian experience? It's because we're going at it in the power of the flesh and not fueled by the power of the Spirit. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. Huge verse. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Not, not only was Paul saved by grace through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, he, he considered himself dead. He died with Christ. But now what? Christ lived in him. Paul didn't in any way say, look, I got it from here. God, you saved me. I appreciate it. I'll take it from here. You know what he said? He says, I'm going to live by the same faith that I got saved by. I'm going to live in the power of the same gospel that saved me. That's the same power and the same gospel that's going to live through me. Look at He says, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself up for me. He says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Listen to me. How, does Christ, how did Christ live in Paul? Through the Spirit. How does Christ live in every single one of you? You who are believers in Jesus Christ here today, how does Christ live in you? Through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. And, and you see, I hope you see the point. Saved by faith, you live by faith. And it was always through Christ and Christ's work. You, you see on your handout, the life we now live as saved individuals is not by law, but by faith. It's by faith. And it is empowered by Christ living through us. The, the, the danger, as, as we've said, again, Paul repeats himself over, over, over again, and I'll do the same. The danger is, this is Ephesians 5.18 stuff. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That word filled, it means controlled. What Paul is saying is, whatever you put in you, Whatever you fill yourself up with, that's what controls you. He said, but the, we have been given the Spirit. We have been sealed. Ephesians 1.13, we have been sealed with the Spirit. But practically, are we living according to the control of the Spirit? Or are we living according to the control of the flesh? Are we living according to the wisdom of the Word of God? That would be Spirit-filled. Or are we living our Christian lives according to the wisdom of the flesh? That's the, that's the battle that every single Christian faces. Inside of each and every one of us is two natures. Flesh, which is old nature. Spirit, which is new nature. And they are at war with each other. 
That's why Paul says in Romans 7, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. The things I find myself doing, I hate. The things I find myself that I want to do, I don't do. Why? Because there's a battle in every single one of us. And the battle that rages in my heart, the battle that rages in your heart, believer, is this. Am I going to live my life according to the wisdom of the flesh? The ways of this world? Or am I going to submit myself to the Word of God and live according to the wisdom of the Word of God? And in doing so, empower the Spirit to live through me. And Barry showed us, when you live according to the flesh, this is what you get. When you live according to, that's, that's verse 20 and 21 of chapter 5. When you live according to the Spirit, you get verse 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's how we know. Am I living according to the flesh? Or am I living, living according to the Spirit? Am I going to live my life in a way that I get the credit? Or am I going to live in my life in a way that God gets the credit? And God has rigged this thing so that He gets the credit. He's going to get the credit. That doesn't sound good. What little air was moving? <laughs> That'll wake you up at night. You get used to that hum in your house, and all of a sudden that thing's gone. You're like, hey, ho, 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 hold up. I like hearing that refrigerator hum. Nope, nothing. So, th that's what Paul is saying. Look, look again, look, look at 5.12. Pa Paul is angry. Paul is angry because these individuals are robbing Christians of their freedoms. They're robbing Christians of the joy of salvation, of the freedom that he has. Look at it, he says, I wish that those who were troubling you would mutilate themselves. I don't need to spend any weeks on that. <laughs> I mean, again, I'm not going there. You can, you can go to Bible.org if you want. And you can look up Galatians 5.12 and do your own study on that one. But strong language. There, there's one translation out there that says, I wish that those were troubling you. He says, I wish the knife would slip. That's literally what that translation says. This is a big deal. This is how we live out the Christian life. I mean, they, you look at verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? They were trying to persuade these believers of something that was not from God. Verse 8, a little, he says, This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. They were trying to take the believers back into a yoke of bondage and of slavery when Jesus Christ had set them free. They were going to relate to God as a slave and not a son. That's why Paul says the battle is this. Keep Standing, verse 1, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. That's the, that's the issue of all of us. Why do you do, and, and you could sum it up this way, why do you do what you do? Why are you here? Are you here in joy? Are you here out of obligation? Why do you obey God? Is it out of joy? Is it powered by the Spirit? Or is it powered by the flesh? Do you have to talk yourself into it? The Christian life was not meant to be a burden. It was to be a joy. Jesus Christ himself said, I have come that you would have joy and that your joy would be what? Full. Full. But see, if I take on the Christian life, if I've got to do it myself, that's slavery. But if my job is fueling the Spirit and then the Spirit lives through me, that's sonship. I have a son and a daughter. Well, imagine if they, woke every, if they woke up every day and said, man, I've got to convince Chris and Karen to keep us. I've got to convince them to love me. 
I've got to convince them that, that, that I'm, they're glad. No, that's, that's, I, think about if you're, think about it as a parent. What about if you found out your kid woke up every day and thought that? How demoralizing that would be. Versus just getting up and being thankful that they were sons and daughters and living that out. And fueled by the love that their parents had for them. And, and listen, go to chapter 6, verse 12. Here's their motivation. This is, it's subtle. The motivation for, for going to the law of, of relating as slaves and, and going back to the law was this. Look at 6.12. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised, look, simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They don't want to be persecuted. Hey, I'll just fly under the radar. I'll just go along with the culture. I'll just do what everybody else is doing and avoid persecution. Avoid persecution. Their motive was to exalt the flesh. You see it on your handout, the next fill-in. The Galatian believers are being encouraged to look to the law, specifically circumcision, to be their guide. See, is it, is it a law? Is the law our guide or is it the Spirit? Because there's a law over here, but it's the law of Christ. And if we'll get to it, it's love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says in chapter, chapter 5, verse 13, and do, if you love the neighbor as yourself, in doing so, you fulfill the whole law. In chapter 6, verse 2, he says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. How do you do that? Through the, through the Spirit. It's through the Spirit. And Paul makes it very clear. Listen, the issue is not circumcision. He says that, verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through what? Love. Love. Listen, there was a time where Paul had Timothy circumcised. He said, Timothy, get circumcised. Why? Because you're ministering to Jews. Your mother is a Jew. You need to get circumcised. Titus? Acts 15, don't get circumcised. You're a Greek, don't do it. You're a Gentile, don't get circumcised. Why? Because it didn't matter. And because of that, Paul was being, Paul was being lied about that he, was, that he was hypocritical. That he was not a true apostle. That he had two different gospels. And Paul says, no, I got one gospel. It's Jesus Christ. Circumcision, uncircumcision, doesn't mean anything. So why, why was he on to circumcision? Here's the reason. You see it on your handout. Paul's issue with Judaizers and circumcision was, that, was from their perspective that their motive, it was about their motive for being circumcised was wrong. Their motive. And what Paul is saying, why Paul objected, as you see the next handout, the fill-in is this, that circumcision would rob the Galatians of their freedom from which Christ had purchased. Not only that, they boasted about their circumcision. That's a good sound. That's a good sound there. Air. They boasted about it. Huh? I'm boasting about what? I'll boast about some air. Seriously. Man, no. Was at the week all week at the beach, and I think I'm still hot, and then add this to hot. 
The, listen, the cross, here's the deal. They boasted. The cross is the end of boasting. Here, here's why he, he goes on to say that it's a stumbling block. Why? Because you don't boast at the cross. The cross is the great humiliator. The great humbler. You fall at your knees at the cross. You don't boast at the cross. You don't boast there. And the Judaizers are making a, were making a, a, a ground for boasting through their circumcision. And they weren't treating it as a, as a gift of grace from God. As, they weren't treating their salvation as if it was a debt paid by God. They were treating their salvation as if it was something that they had to work for. And I believe what Paul is doing here is reminding the Galatians that Jesus Christ offers us a different way of life as believers. He offers us a different way of life to live. And again, the, the Holy Spirit sets Christianity apart from all other religions. Every other religion is work your way to God. Christianity is this. Humble yourself before God and Philippians 2.12, I'll work through you. I mean, listen to this. Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation for, with fear and trembling. Listen to this, verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. I'm not working. Christ is working in me. But listen, my responsibility is to remain plugged in to the power source. Let me illustrate. Let me try to illustrate. I was thinking all week how to do this. We have a couch in our home, an L-shaped couch. And uh, it, it has a recliner on each end, and they're, they're powered by electricity. That's great when the electricity works, not so good when it doesn't work. It's also, they it works great as long as it stays plugged in, but th there are times where there will be 9 or 10, 11 neighborhood kids running around our house having Nerf wars. And behind the couch is one of the great places that they like to hide in their Nerf war. Well, guess what happens? It gets unplugged. I, I'll sit in the chair, I'll push the button, Nothing happens. It's unplugged. All, all the Listen, everything that chair needs to recline is there within the chair. Agreed? The problem is what? Power. Got disconnected from the power source. See, what do I got to do? Now I got to climb behind the couch, pull out the thing, get it all unplugged, yell at some kids for going behind the couch, messing me up. But, but everything that chair needed to recline is there. This is 2 Peter 1.3, seeing that His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. You know what He says? Stay plugged in. You know, He says exactly what Jesus said in John 15, Abide in me and I in you, for apart from me you can do what? Nothing. What Paul is saying here, this is the Christian life is not meant to be slavery. It's not meant to be a burden. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, he says, Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for my burden is easy and my yoke is what? Light. Sons. It's to be a joy. It's to be a privilege to be a son or a daughter of God, not a burden. If, if Believer, if you're relating to God, if reading the Word, if coming to church, if these things are a burden, repent. You, you're not plugged into the power source, because listen to me, and, and we're all battle with it. When, I'm, when I go on vacation and, and it messes up my routine of studying the Word and things like that, I physically can feel it. 
That's why we read the Word every day. That's why we stay in the Word, because that's essentially me reading this Word, me memorizing this Word. There are are verses on my dash. I'm memorizing Numbers 23, 19 right now. Why do I do that? Not for pride, because I want to stay plugged in. I, I want the Spirit. You don't want the flesh in Chris Basham. Easy. Easy. Easy, Bill. Easy, Bill. No, but he's right. Barry showed you the flesh. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. When that's in your life, you're living according to the flesh. This is James 4. Do you know where fights and quarrels come from? You want, but you don't not have. So you know what you do? You kill. There's a battle in us. And Satan cannot keep, I'm saved individual. He cannot keep me from going to heaven and, and, and keep, not keep me from that relationship. But he can keep me from enjoying that relationship. He can keep me from experiencing all the fullness of that relationship here. That's what Paul is getting at. If we relate to God as a slave and not a son or a daughter, we're, we're missing it. And I believe this is where most Christians live today. Because of a lack of the Word of God, because of a lack of prayer, because of a lack of spending time with other believers, we're going at this thing. It it would be like me being dehydrated, stepping up to the line, and thinking I'm going to run a marathon and run it well. And I'm already dehydrated before I start. When we stay out of this Word, when we rob ourselves of the Word, when we when we miss quiet times, when we abandon quiet times, when we skip, when we do all those things, you're, you're literally unplugging yourself. This is Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Spirit, he says. 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Do not quench the Spirit. Why? Because that's your power source. The power for living the, the Christian life is the Spirit. How do I feed and fuel the Spirit? Through the Word. It's through the Word. It becomes a joy. It becomes a joy to serve the Lord. Not a burden. Why? Because I'm a son. Because I'm a daughter. Because you're a daughter of the King. And literally, it's Christ living through us. It's not Chris. It's Christ. That's what Paul says. I have been crucified and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, through me. And and the issue Paul is getting at is how do we live right now as believers while we wait for Christ's return? Verse 5, I believe, is the key verse. Look at verse 5. And I want to spend some time here. We, listen to this, we through the what? Spirit, by faith, are waiting. Who in here enjoys waiting? No, nobody in here enjoys waiting. We don't want to wait. We want that air fixed now. We want it now. Waiting for the hope of righteousness. Listen, what we're waiting, our righteousness uh, uh, is a future thing. It's a hope of righteousness. You see that on your handout. He speaks of the life as a waiting. The Judaizers are trying to tell these Christians, hey, you can have it now, just get circumcised. You can have perfection now, just, get, just do this. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Our perfection is to come. Everything that makes a Christian in the life of a Christian in Christianity 
different from every other religion is captured right here. It's not me doing it. It's Jesus Christ doing it through me. And if we're honest, I'm just being honest with you. Most of us think that we can live the Christian life on our own. Most of us think that if I can just follow some rules, I can just do a couple things, that's what we've basically, in a sense, boiled Christianity down to. Check a couple boxes, do a couple things. That's what it's become known for. Versus a spirit-filled life. Versus Christ living through me. And the issue, you see it on your handout, the issue at hand is how God leads the believer. How he leads the believer in the freedom they have in Christ. How they live as a believer. Not, not in law and not in license, as we saw a few weeks ago. We'll see that down in chapter verse 13. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity of the flesh, he said. And you see on your handout there two ways, again, Two ways that we can live as believers. We can live the Christian life like a slave. Or we can live the Christian life as an heir. And the danger for all of us is found in verse 1. Do, that we do not keep standing firm in the freedom. And you say, well, how do I know, Chris? How do I know what I'm doing? Let me, it's there on your handout. Living as a slave. Listen to this. A slave tries to become acceptable by performing valuable service to God to merit his blessing. Do you try to perform for God? A slave is never quite sure he has done enough to please his master or merit his approval. When you, when you read, let me, let me ask you this. When you have your quiet time, do you think God is more or less pleased with you because you have your quiet time? When you miss your quiet time, do you run around thinking, oh, God's so not pleased with me? Listen, you're living like a slave. You're living life as a slave. Not as a son or a daughter. Do you, do you come here on church? My God, you see, I came to church, God. My washing machine better not break. I came to church, God. You'd be able to bless no, 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 no. You don't perform. You don't perform for him. Listen, his approval for me and for you, believer, is in Christ's work, not your work. His approval is, is satisfied in Christ's work. My, my role is to live that out through, the, through Christ living in me, is to stay plugged in. But not only living as a slave, look, living as an heir. Here's what it looks like when you live as an heir. An heir trusts that the inheritance is based solely upon the relationship. Karen Amorati Basham is my wife. She does not have to earn that on a daily basis. She does not have to work to keep that. That was declared upon her on June 28, 2003. In two days, 13 years. Grace of God right there on, on her end. Her end. is work on her end. She, did, she don't get up every day thinking, man, I got to work to keep this joker. Man, I got to perform. No. She's got a ring on her finger that says, you know what? Chris Basham declared his name upon me. The relationship is done, sealed. God, God's, not, God's not interested. I've got to perform. No, no, Jesus Christ performed on my behalf. And th that's what he's saying. Do not resort, do not resort to it. Don't make Christianity a slave master relationship. We're heirs, we're sons. 
Listen to Galatians 4.4. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions as sons. Adoption. Look at verse 7. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir. Live that. Enjoy that. Josh Finkley and Katie, they just, they adopted. Many of you have adopted. You you know what would make Josh and Katie most happy? Is if that beautiful little girl grew up living as a daughter of Josh and Katie Finkley and enjoying being a daughter. Being grateful. And the love that her mommy and daddy bestowed upon her fueled everything. That's Christianity. Not, not working, not performing, not saying, hey, Daddy, I'll do, the, I'll do the dishes so you don't send me back. Hey, I'll clean my bed so you don't do this. Hey, that, that's the way many of us live Christianity. We do these things thinking God, no, 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 we don't perform for Him. Don't go back to the law. Live as a son, as a daughter. Understanding your freedom. At the same time, this little girl doesn't do what she wants to do. You know what she does? She grows up and she lives like a Finkley. They teach her, they train her, and she grows up and she lives like a Finkley. She takes on the character and the nature of Josh and Katie. That's Christianity. That's sanctification. You and I, believe, are growing up to take on the nature of our Father who's adopted us. And what he's saying is this, don't go back to the law to do that. Live plugged into the Spirit to do that. And what Paul is saying in verse 2 don't get, I, I, I believe he's saying this, this. If we look to the law to earn our standing before God, Christ and His work becomes useless. Becomes useless. We've opted for law and not grace. We've, opt, we've, op, we've, we've opted to operate our relationship with God based on law rather than grace. He says either you trust Christ and His work or you don't. It's not both ways. Either you get the credit or God gets the credit. Either it's faith or it's works. It can't be both. That's Romans 4. A wage is, you don't say, man, thanks, you are so gracious for paying me this check every two weeks. No, I earned that check. That's not grace. That's called a wage. And Christ is in us through the person of the Spirit, and He is useless in guiding us if we look to the law over faith. That's what He's saying. You will quench, you will grieve, you will essentially, you've crawled behind the couch and you've unplugged the power source if you, go to the, if you live the Christian life based on an, a slave and just looking to the law to perfect you. And Christ is a tremendous advantage to us. He has paid all of our debts on the cross. He has, he has paid our ransom. He has freed us from slavery. He has, he has invited us into the Father's house. He, he works. He continues. You look at Romans 8, 28. He continues to work on our behalf. Tremendous, tremendous advantages. All comes through the Spirit. Not through the law. And he says, look, if you go back to the law, you're essentially saying that Christ's work, and you see it on your handout, was insufficient. And you'll boast. 
In verse 4, he offers up the same warning. You have been severed. Another word there is alienated from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law. And what he's saying here is, listen, the reason why there's so much, there's so, there, you know, no, so little joy sometimes in Christians' lives is because they're relating to God as a slave and not an heir. Because they're trying to perform for God instead of just basking in, and living out the, the fact that you've been declared to be a son or a daughter. And what is at stake here is not salvation, but freedom. It's freedom. It's the freedom to grow as a believer. It's the freedom to live as a believer. It's the freedom to, to grow and to grow up and to take on the character of your adopted father. It's enjoying our salvation. It's, in, it's, it's what behi- is behind our salvation. Not, not, as, not as slaves. And if we insist on using the commandments of the law, as good as they are, like a slave works for a master, ultimately, ultimately, we've abandoned grace and we've severed the relationship. And, and listen, we, we've done a very good job of this. I, I'll be the first to confess in churches. Let me give you, a, just a, without stepping on more toes than I maybe already have, let me give you, give me give you some examples uh, of legislating through law versus freedom. Things like legislating rules about what we can and cannot drink. Movies. Clothing, dancing, boycotting Disney. That's legislating through law, not the Spirit. Listen to what Colossians 2 says. Listen to what, and I'll, I'll prove my point biblically. Colossians 2, 16 through 19. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of which is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You know, he says, don't look to the law, look to faith. My love for God, you know what? It's not law that dictates all those things. It's my love for God that dictates all those things. Dictates what I wear, what I put in my body, what I watch, what I do with my body, where I go. It's love that dictates that, not law. There certainly are guidelines. Don't get me wrong. There's guidelines. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. Put nothing impure before your eyes. There are certainly rules. But again, we're legislated by love, by the Spirit in us. Th- think with me for just Luke 15, the prodigal son. Th- I believe this is a parable in, in many ways of, of how gracious our God is, but how foolish we can be. That son had everything in relationship to the Father. What did he do? He said, give me my inheritance now. And what did he do? He went and wasted it. He went and wasted it. In that sense, he severed, alienated himself from the Father. And yet, when he realized that, when he repented and came back, what happened? The Father was waiting for him. Matter of fact, the Father humiliated himself and pulled up his robe and ran to that son. Threw a party for him. But think about the other son. Was the other son happy or sad about the party? Sad. He says, you never threw me a party. What do he say? I have always obeyed you. I have never disobeyed you. First of all, nobody's perfect. But you see the difference? He was relating to his father like a slave. He was not relating to his father in grace like a son. And it was all about works. And it was all about performance. And there, there was no freedom there. There was no grace there. 
He had served the Father, but he had served the Father out of, out of performance. He had served the Father out of, as a slave. He had, the older brother had more of a, a mindset that resembled a slave than a son. And he saw, he saw his obedience as work for the Father, not, not a joy in just being a son of the Father. He didn't enjoy being a son. And Christ offers, you see it on your handout, the fellowship and intimacy with broken, forgiven sinners who have learned that their service and their ability is utterly inadequate. I think it's Isaiah 64, 6 that says, Even our deeds done in righteousness are but filthy rags to God. Filthy rags. The prodigal realized this, he returned with open arms, and listen to me, God invites you this morning to forsake the mindset of a slave and, and accept the fact that you have been adopted as a son. Listen, John 1.12 says, To as many as received him, he gave them the power to become children of God. And we have a hard time, listen, all of us have a hard time with grace because we love to boast. We love to boast. And grace, you see it on your handout, grace destroys our ability to boast. And we hate that. We fight it. Grace destroys our self-reliance, and we hate that. And it destroys human wisdom, and we hate that. And what is he saying? He's saying trusting the law, coming to God as a slave, robs Christ of the power in our lives because we essentially live like we don't need him. We live like we've got it. We essentially say to God, look, I got this. I got this. I don't need you. How does it show up in our lives? Again, it shows up in our lives because we don't read this word. We don't value the word. We're not like Jeremiah who says your words became food and I ate them. We're not like Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul thirsts for you. Hey, I got this. I got it. Jesus said it. Look, abide in me. And I in you, and apart from me, you can do nothing. Whatever we fill ourselves up with is what's going to control us. Whatever, 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 if we fill ourselves up with the flesh, you know what's going to, we're going to get, we're going to get flesh. We're going to get envy and strife and jealousy and anger and disputes and dissensions and factions and drunkenness and carousing and the things which I forewarned you. We fill ourselves up with the Word of God. We Colossians 3.16, we let the Word of God richly dwell within us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. It's the Spirit. Real quickly, the application. I want to bring this home real quickly. Real quickly here. I, it's hot, and we've been here long enough, and... Real quickly, verse 5, I said, is the key verse. And I want to draw some truths out of verse 5 real quickly that are there on your handout. If we're honest with ourselves, the Christian life is not complicated, but it's hard. Because it's a battle. That's why Paul consistently uses imagery like athletic contests, like boxing matches, like races, to picture the Christian life. Because it's a battle. Paul himself in Romans 7.24, I think it's 7.24, he says, Who will set me free from this wretched man that I am? 
And the reason why it's such a battle is this. We've been declared righteous, but practically we're not righteous. And Romans 8, inside of us, we groan for that perfection. We long to be made complete. We long to be what we one day will be. We long for it. But between here and now, it's almost, and this is the imagery in my head as I sat there this week thinking about it, it's, we're almost like the, the little kid who maybe was over in Asia and has been adopted by a family, let's just say in America. The papers are signed. The adoption is official. And this agency puts this little child on a plane and this child is flying in a plane from Asia to America. Has he been adopted? He or she been adopted? Absolutely. Are they currently experiencing the fullness of that adoption? They are not. We, we've been adopted. That's done. Ephesians 1.13, it's sealed. But we're waiting in the meantime. And we're pursuing. So the question becomes, how do we wait? How do we fight this battle while we wait? That's what Paul holds out in verse 5 in contradiction to the Judaizers. Look what he says. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. You see it on your handout. The full realization of our righteousness is a future hope. Righteousness is a hope. Are we declared righteous? We have been. Are we righteous practically? Not, the, what, not to the fullness that we've been declared with. One day. The reality is this. We still, you and I still struggle with sin. And until we receive our glorified bodies, we're going to struggle with sin. And, and, and it appears that the Judaizers were teaching some kind of perfectionism, that they could offer perfection. Listen, there will be no perfection until we're at home in the presence of the Lord. We won't be perfect. We can strive for it. And again, you see a hint in Galatians 3. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? The, these are the same words. The words begin and end are the same words that Paul uses in Philippians 1.6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. We are in the process. I got saved in, in 1992, I believe. Again, when we actually cross that line may be different than when we think we cross that line. From 1992 on, God has been working in me, perfecting me. Out with the old, in with the new. It's that whole idea of we're new creatures. And what the Judaizers are saying, hey, it's fine to begin the life by trusting Christ, but then you've got to go to the law. And Paul is saying, don't do it. There, there will be no perfection in this life. Perfect and full righteousness lies in the future. It is our hope. Listen to, listen to what, real quickly, what Philippians, in Philippians 3, what Paul says. Philippians 3.12, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of it, for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude that if anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal it to you. However, let us keep living by the standard to which we have obtained. Paul says the same thing in Romans 7, verses 21 through 23. Listen to what he says. I find then the principle that evil 
is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. There's a war. And the, the, what, what Paul is saying is fight. He's saying fight. Fight from the position that you have been declared righteous. You don't earn your salvation. You don't work for it. You have been declared righteous. Fight. Live like a called, live like an adopted son or daughter of God. That's what he's saying. Live like it. Stand firm in the Lord. But, but not, not only is it a future hope, he says the Christian life is one of waiting. It's one of waiting. He says we wait. Through the Spirit, we wait for the hope of righteousness. You, you can go to Romans 8.23. He talks about our bodies. Our bodies groan. He says, for, and not only this, but we also ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Have we been adopted? Yes. Do we experience the fullness of that adoption? Not really. But it will be consummated one day in the future. And that's what's sealed. That's what's promised. That's why we can wait eagerly and not look to the law. We can look to faith because one day we will be, we will be perfected. And we will experience the adoption. And in the meantime, he says, we wait. And how do we wait? You see it on your handout. We are not indifferent to righteousness in this life. But we pursue it. That's what Paul is saying. We pursue the righteousness that one day will be perfectly given. What does that mean? You see it on your handout. We're not content with sin. That's not what I'm saying. We are not content with sin. There is a battle and a struggle to fight sin. That's how we wait. We wait by fighting. We wait by battling. Thirdly, believers are empowered to wait by the Spirit. Again, Everything about this chapter, verses 5 and chapters 5 and 6, is about the Spirit. We wait in the power. We wait in God's power, not our power. That's the beauty of Christianity. That's why we've got to stay plugged in. We wait not on our own strength. We wait based on the promises of God. L listen to what Paul says in Romans 15, 3. For we, even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Listen, verse 4. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Why do we read the Scriptures? Because we read about men and women who walked just where you walked, who had to wait just like you waited. We read Hebrews 11. It says, all those died in faith, having not received the promises, but one day they will. One day they will. But you wait as empowered by the Spirit. We, we need God's Word richly dwelling in us so that we can wait. So that we can wait well. You see it on your handout. The whole Christian life is a gift of grace. Because we wait in faith. We wait empowered. If we try to do this thing in the flesh, we cut ourselves off from Christ. But fourthly, believers wait by faith. They wait by faith. Again, Paul says, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. He didn't get saved by faith and live by the flesh. He got saved by faith and he lived by faith. 
It wasn't him living, it was Christ living in him through the Spirit. And how do we, why, do we, why do we read the Scriptures? Because it reminds us of the greatness of His love. See how great a love the Father has lavished upon us, First John says, that we could be called children of God. Brothers, sisters, here's the deal. Stand firm in your freedom. How do we do that? We do that by engulfing ourselves in this Word. We do, by, we do this by meditating on the Word. The psalmist says, How does a young man keep his way pure? Meditating on the word. He says, your word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. We, 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 we stand firm by reading this word and meditating on it and realizing there will come a day where all the promises of God will be yes. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For as many as are the promises of God in Jesus Christ, they are yes. When you struggle to wait well, look to Christ. When you struggle to wait well, look to Christ. When you're battling with sin, look to Christ. Don't don't try to do this thing in the flesh. Do it in the spirit. And I pray that this will free us up to to hide this word in our heart, to to not, not legislate ourselves based on laws, but legislate ourselves based on the love of God, which is Christ Jesus. That, that the Spirit in us, through the Word, richly dwelling in us, will be the power and the strength to live this life. And, and let's be honest as I close. Is part of the reason you're struggling. Can you honestly say, Colossians 3.16, that the Word of God richly dwells within you? The Word of God is our food. Matthew 4.4, 4, man does not live on bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. Some of us in here as Christians, the problem may be that we've starved ourselves. We're starved. We're starved. And you know what I notice? Starved soldiers, they don't fight very well. They don't fight very well. They're weak, prone to being overtaken. Let this word of God richly dwell us in and fight well through the power of the Spirit and enjoy then the Christian life will be a joy. We'll come to this word and it'll be a joy to do this. Just like he says in verse, four, verse 14, but through love serve one another.